Good morning. This morning we're going to be in Acts 2, 37 through 47. I'm excited to talk to you about it. As you're turning there this morning, I've got a question for you, though. I want you to think about the best church experience that you've, you've ever had. And not just one experience, but maybe it was a, a total of experiences. Maybe it was uh, what drew you to that church and what was so powerful for you was the people. Maybe it was the music. Maybe it was a children's ministry, a youth ministry, the, the word that was taught and preached. Probably some combination. As you think about your best church experience, what are the things that made that church unique? Why did they do church the way that they did it? Thinking about this morning where God has you right now, why do we do church the way we do it? When we consider that this body of Christ to which you are joined is responsible for caring for your soul, helping form how you think about God, discipling you, equipping you, encouraging you, pointing you to Jesus. When you consider all that, it matters a great deal how we do church. That's the main point of our passage this morning. It will see in Acts 2 is how we do church now. It's grounded in how they did church then. Now, you remember that last week, Peter stands up. He's, he's beginning to preach to this large crowd, and they've gathered both in kind of confusion and amazement. They're hearing the sound, this weird sound of like people hearing the gospel preached, the mighty works that God has done. They're hearing it in their own language. They're trying to figure out what's going on here. Jerusalem was crowded at this time. You had devout Jews and proselytes from all the nations, according to verse 5. They were celebrating the Feast of Harvest, and in Greek, that's known as, as Pentecost. So in just one chapter, we're beginning to see the fulfillment. If you'll go back to 1.8, the promise that Jesus makes, power will come, the Holy Spirit will come, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We're, we're seeing that start right here. The beginning of the chapter, we have a room with 120 people and by the end of the chapter, we have a church with 3,000. A lot can happen in one chapter of Scripture. So today, we'll be, we'll be looking at how the church was made from the passage. A little spoiler alert, it's right there in verse 39. The church was called. It was called by God. It's how it's made. How the church matures, we'll see in verses 42 through 47, that it matures in community. So I want you to listen for those themes. What was the response of the people? How was the church made? And then once gathered together, how did the church behave? So we'll start in verse 36 because I want you to see what they're responding to. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we ask that you would bless the the reading and the preaching of your word. Help us to see it and believe it and love it. Help us to love you the way that you have loved us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So how is the church made? This first half here, verses 37 through 41. Again, we see that the Lord is calling a people to himself, but but how does that happen? It happens that they hear the gospel, they repent of their sins, and they receive the promise of God. Now we know from early in Acts 2 that the Spirit has been poured out because the people who gather They're gathering to hear this this former Christ-denying backwater Galilean fisherman preach the gospel. There's no other explanation for that other than the Spirit. They heard this Jesus whom you crucified, verse 36. God has raised up, verse 32. God has made him both Lord and Christ, verse 36. So how do they respond? They, They hear this and they are cut to the heart. They, they heard it. So we, we've all experienced that, that time that we're, we're talking to someone. Maybe we're sharing something heavy, something real, and they're actually listening. You see eye contact. You see from their body language that they're leaning in. They're, they're hearing you. What you're sharing is impacting them. Versus maybe someone who's kind of giving you the thousand yard stare as your words go in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Kind of how you might listen to your child or anyone else's child talk about Minecraft. (laughs) Okay, right. You you hit the creeper and it explodes. (laughs) Or as a loving brother's pointed out to me, the, the folks that endlessly talk about CrossFit, you know, you get, I'm listening. Yes, you're in good shape. I'm I'm done. That's not the case with these folks, though. That's that's not what's happening here. We we know that they hear, they really hear because they respond. And their response is the beginning of repentance. Their, Their hearts are pierced by the truth of who Christ is and the weight of their sin. This this word cut, uh, pierced in the NASB, it means that they're feeling anguish. There's despair. Their hearts are broken over what they've done. Now think about how we sometimes respond when we're accused of sin. How do they respond? They don't make excuses. They don't deny it. They don't purchase a ticket for the, but what about train? You know that train. Leave station every day at noon. What about circumstances? But what about their sin? But what about how easy it was for them? And what about how... They don't do the but what abouts. Instead, they say, what shall we do? 
They're asking the right question. So Peter gives them a command that they were to do then, and we are still to do now. We repent. Verse, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent. If you mark in your Bible, I'll just like circle that one, underline it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so we see from how they respond that repentance is more than just anguish. It's, it's more than just sorrow. It's more than regret over sin. Repentance includes agreeing with God about your sin, yes, but also turning away from it and towards Him with trust and belief. We know that they believe that Jesus is both Lord and Christ based on how they respond when they learn of their guilt in verse 36. What shall we do? It's, it's, it's Jesus that we've crucified. We see them turning towards God, trusting in Him, and obeying the command to be baptized. Now, I don't want you to be tripped up by that command. This is not a, not a proof text for baptismal regeneration, meaning that you have to be baptized to be saved. That's not what's happening here. We know that from the whole Testament of Scripture, and we know that from history. Remember, Peter's talking to devout Jews here. Now, Jews, they didn't have a problem with, with baptism, baptism by water. They, they would go out into the wilderness and hear John the Baptist, who was saying, confess your sins, the kingdom's at hand, repent, they were curious about it. Some were baptized into John's baptism. But this baptism is different. These formerly devout Jews and proselytes are now getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, verse 38. These people are both openly aligning themselves with Christ and openly obeying Him. I believe that's why Peter only says Jesus Christ here. Sometimes you'll hear this passage used as a proof text for only being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not it. He's calling these people who have crucified Jesus Christ to now be baptized in his name. That is a radical act of obedience. And there's going to be consequences. We start seeing them in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, first, I want to point out to you that Peter kept preaching with many words, just putting that out there, that even though his first sermon was awesome, it was not because it was short, okay? Second, notice what Peter says in, in verse 40. I think the NASB captures this. Clearly, be saved from this crooked generation. You see, the religious leaders of that day are not going down without a fight. Think about how they connived, how they, they planned the murder of the Son of God. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, elders organized themselves against Jesus. Nothing's changed even though he's resurrected. They were totally opposed to him before they killed him. Nothing's changed. So you can imagine, I don't know, were they even like walking around in the crowd as, as Peter preached? Maybe writing down some names, sort of looking around at, at people they knew and saying, are you sure you want to do this? You, you really want to lose everything, your family, your, your job, 
your very identity, you are a descendant of Abraham. You're going to get baptized in the name of Jesus. So Peter must continually exhort the people to turn away from them and their crookedness and turn towards Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do when we preach the word, when we teach the word, when we disciple one another, we are encouraging each other, turn away from the crookedness of the world that draws you in. Turn away from it and turn again towards Jesus. So how do the people respond? They repent and obey. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We know that this is a work of the Spirit. We know because we see what they're giving up. We see what they're being added to. The Spirit was present not only because some had a tongue of fire over their head, And because many were hearing the gospel in their own language, we know the Spirit was present then like it is now when people are convicted of their sins and they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. The same Spirit that was active then is active right now. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you have never been pierced to the heart by the Word of God, you have never been crushed by the weight of your Sin against a holy God. Today's the day. Pray. Ask God to open your eyes and ears. Repent and be baptized. We'll run some water right after service. It won't be warm. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Repent and be baptized. If you're placing your faith today in Christ by the Spirit, I'm asking you, exhorting you with many words, Turn from the crookedness of self-driven desires. Turn from the emptiness of a world that never satisfies. Place your faith in the one who was pierced for you, the one who will untwist your desires and make you his own. So, brothers and sisters, we know that repentance doesn't stop there. It's not just for an unbeliever coming to Christ. Luther said all of life, all of Christian life is repentance. But sometimes I'm I'm concerned we get this backwards. Maybe we think the longer we've been a Christian that that we should be repenting of sin kind of less and less because aren't we getting better and better? I would submit to you that growing in spiritual maturity is not repenting less but repenting more. Not repenting reluctantly but repenting quickly. The more the Spirit grows us, the more we see the beauty of Christ. When you walk into a a dimly lit room and it's filthy, there's a little bit of, of dirt that you can see. But as that light grows brighter, you can see more and more of it. That's what's happening for us as the Spirit helps us see the beauty of Christ. Man, our sin stands out. We see it. It's obvious We learn from an early age, when confronted with our sin, deny it. Blame someone or something else for it. But the Holy Spirit won't have it. He's growing you, dear believer, in humility, in sincerity, in a tender conscience. As He's growing you, we're quicker to not deny our sin, but to confess it. To not hide it, but to run to Christ with it. 
So as of this morning, what, what characterizes your life in the area of repentance? Does it look more like denial and excuses or more like a tender conscience quickly leading you to repent? Believer, be encouraged. Christ is near to you in your sin. He sees you in your weakness and your suffering, and he is near to you. Turn to him. His grace is inexhaustible. He's not tired of you repenting. He wants you to. So repenting, that may be something that, that resonates with us because there, thanks Art, there's a tangible action I can take from Scripture. But when we get to receive, that, that can be more challenging maybe because so many of us are wired to, to do, to act, to earn Jesus turns that on its head because so much of what we are to do in Christianity is to receive what he's already done. Even in this passage, we receive the word, verse 41. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive the promise of the Lord who calls us to himself. The, the order is, is not relevant about where the Holy Spirit comes. He's already been poured out. What's relevant is what we receive because of Christ through the Spirit. So what in, does this mean that we're receivers of the promise? Let's look at that one for a second. You and I are included here. The promise is for you, those who heard Peter at that time, for your children. They would go home, obviously, and tell their whole family's whole household the good news. And then for those who are far off, everyone that the Lord our God calls to himself. But those who are far off, does, does that ring a bell? It's okay if it doesn't. That's why we're talking through this. Okay. Those who are far off, I had somebody between services, it was like, oh, it's a prodigal son. I'm like, oh, it's so good. So I'm going to go ahead and share that with you. That even while the prodigal son coming to his senses is far off, the father runs to him. Man, I love that. What we're seeing here, though, is something a little different. All right, so I'll give you a clue. For the kids, anybody that's already watched uh, Star Wars Lego story, no one, I'm going to assume that there are people at home raising their hands. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> what adults in here are going to watch a Star Wars Lego regardless of the kids or the Mandalorian? A couple more hands, maybe. Thank you. See the hand in the right, not in the back. Yes. So I'm telling you what here, okay? It, Natu's like, hey, we need to watch Star Wars Lego. And I'm like, how they redeem Life Day? I have no idea, but it was great. Or the Mandalorian when, when Bo-Katan shows up after being an animated character in Clone Wars and Rebels. Now, for the rest of you, adults will say animated because we feel better about it. It's really a cartoon. <laughs> and she shows up in the flesh in Mandalorian. If that's a spoiler for you, again, that's on you. It's a couple weeks old. All that happens. My mind is blown. All these connections, the callbacks... Well, this promise is like that, only it's sanctified and it's on steroids. Okay, here's the connection, the callback. In Ephesians, we, we get the, the doctrine. We got the theology. We got the propositional truths. We get the what does it mean. In Acts, we get the history, the events, the origin story that makes all these truths possible. So this little spark that says those far off explodes the hope for everyone that the Lord calls to himself. 
Ephesians 2, we were separated. We were far off. We were strangers to the promise. We had no hope without God in the world. But then verse 13, you who once were far off are now near in the blood of Christ. The connection is we are now fellow heirs, partakers of the promise. The mystery of the gospel was unfolded for us in Ephesians. And we have this little, like just one little phrase, this little glance here that unfolds all of it for us. Man, that's the best prequel ever. That's the best origin story ever. The spark for the explosion. So apart from nerding out over all the connections in both Star Wars and Scripture, what's, what's this receiving practically mean? It means we're, we're added to something. We see that in, in verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This added language shows up multiple times in Acts. What were these new believers added to? Well, we know they were turning away from a crooked generation and toward a brand new community. They were added to the fellowship of believers, the church. They are now the bride of Christ. Another Ephesians call back. So when a new believer is added to the church today, the same thing that was happening then is happening now. 1 Peter 2 9 and 10. Let's see what's, what's happening a little bit behind the scenes. When a new believer is added to the church, you are a chosen race now, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So much is happening when a believer comes to be added to the fellowship. So as we're soaking in that, what it means to be added, it's critical for what's not here. I want us to see what's not here. There's no category here or in the rest of the New Testament for a solo Lone Ranger Christian. As much as our culture celebrates individualism and our hearts may even gravitate to, I just just want to be alone. I want to handle this on my own. We find in this passage that Christianity is meant to be lived out in community with other believers. Greek term for that is koinonia. It means an intimate bond of fellowship. So I want to see how many times this, this concept is here in this passage. You'll you'll see fellowship one time, together two times, all three times. They, there, those, themselves, eight times. They are together. Depending on the translation, you'll see, it might say of one mind, a singleness of heart, together. And we can see that the fellowship of believers is undeniably clear in this text. But if we have to guard our hearts against isolation on the one hand... We've got to guard our hearts against reading this and romanticizing the early church on the other hand. And we can see the early church there and think, man, if we could just get back to the way it was then. We don't even have to get to 1 Corinthians to see how messed up the church can be. We can find it in Acts. 
It's just a couple chapters down the road that Ananias and Sapphira are put to death by the Holy Spirit for lying to him. It's just a few chapters after that that we see ethnic prejudice show up in the early church as the Greek-speaking Jews are overlooked in the daily distribution. They're, they're widows. So even the early church had its problems. So it's not about getting back to how it was then. The Spirit will sustain this church. The church was not perfect then. It's not perfect now. So when I asked you at the beginning, like to think of your, your best church experience, some of your minds might have gone to the worst. Or you were hurt by church. You were hurt by people who said they were believers. And sorry that that happened. I hate that. But it's not surprising because the church is made up of sinners called to be saints. It will not be perfect, but it will be sanctifying. So despite the imperfections, though, of the church then and the church now, we still have hope. It is still the will of God that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I have no idea what that looks like, but God's holy name is on the line. What he started with the church, he will finish. You may feel filthy, a failure, wrong, full of sin, wretched. He will present you blameless and spotless. He will have his way with the church. So it's God's plan to call us together and use us. We need to see how to grow. We need to see how we mature in verses 42 through 47. So there's, there's four actions here that you see. Word, worship, one another, and witness. Now, I tried hard on the alliteration, okay? So at least I gave you like a phonetic <laughs> alliteration with the one another. But I do that because I want you to, to remember, okay, that they were continually devoted to, to the word, to worship, to one another, and to witness. We see that they're devoted to the word. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They're taking scripture, they're explaining it. They're showing how it points to Christ, how to apply it to hearers. And in case anybody said, Peter, who, who are you to be taking Old Testament, sacred Scripture and, and saying how it points to Jesus. They had lots of signs and wonders to attest to their authority to do that. A spirit-filled church is hungry for the Word of God. At a time when it would have totally made sense to appeal to experience. Tongues of fire, I want to see it again. Speaking in different languages, I want some more of that. That's, that's not what we see here. We don't see them seeking more experiences. Rather, they seek more of the teachings to which the experiences testify. They want the word. And it's not word or spirit. This is not an either or. They are hungry for the word because the spirit is at work within them. So a simple question for us this morning. Do you hunger for the word of God? Or do you find yourself easily devoted to any number of other things? This is a burden that the elders have for this body, that you might love the word, 
that you might read it, listen to it, memorize it, that you would preach it to yourself, preach it to others, that you would hide it in your heart, that you would study it with believers. There's Bible studies. Just to commend you, I love the fact there are so many like just Bible studies popping up everywhere. That is awesome. That is so encouraging. There's, There's equipping classes. There's growth groups. But ultimately, being in the Word is something you choose to do. This is not a guilt trip, but it's a privilege. It's a means of grace and growth that the one who called you, the one who made you a body of believers, is saying, here, I I want to communicate to you who I am, what I do, why I'm glorious and, and worthy of your worship. He shares himself with you through his word. So just two recommendations, pray and plan. If you're not in the Word, if you don't have a desire for the Word, pray. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're not choosing to do this out of your own, I'm just going to muster it up. Art got me fired up today. I'm going to read the Word. I want you to pray. I want you to appeal to the Holy Spirit for the desire for His Word. And then I don't want you to wait on the desire. I want you to go ahead and make a plan to be in the Word. Go ahead and do it. There will never be a time ever that you regret opening the Word of God and reading it. The Word is where our lives are corrected, our minds are renewed, our hearts are strengthened. So we'll see that a devotion to the Word leads to a devotion to worship of God. All of life is worship for the Christian. In our passage, we see some examples of formal worship. We see where they're going together uh, to the temple. We see in verse 42 where they sit under teaching, they share communion, and they share corporate prayer. We see also in 46 and 47 that they spend time together. They eat together. They're in each other's homes all the while praising God. We see that this worship in verse 43 is characterized by awe, and awe came upon every soul. We see joy in 46, down here with, when they're in homes and they're receiving food with glad and generous hearts. That is joy. I hope that you have received the gift before of, of, of corporate worship. And what I mean by that is, is, is a day when you walk in here, or maybe many days, where you're unwilling or unable to, to preach the truth to yourself. Maybe you, you come in a little late because you want to leave a little bit early. You think, ah, well, the singing starts, and you just let other people sing. You, 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 you can't do it today. And by that second or third song of rich truth being sung over you, your heart begins to, to warm. The Spirit strengthens you one more time to what's true. Or the time where you come on, the, on, a, on a first Sunday of, of the month, And you're like, man, I forgot that it was communion. I can't walk up there and partake of communion. God knows what I've done this week. He's he's seen the sin in my life. I'm not worthy to go partake of communion. And then through the singing of truth, the praying of truth, the preaching of truth, one more time you come to the table convinced that it's on his character his heart, his actions, that you are a partaker of the promise, not on yours. You come to him again and again. 
I hope you've received that gift praying together every, the, the, every month now. On the first Friday of the month, there's an opportunity to pray together. We get to do that together in, in growth groups. We do it for an entire week at the beginning of each year. Praying together as a body, what a blessing. There's also worship when believers show hospitality to one another. We see that clearly in our passage. A willingness to, to break bread together in each other's homes, have a cup of coffee together, inviting each other into homes and lives. Praise God that what we see here is not hearts motivated by guilt, but hearts that are glad and generously motivated by the hospitality that Christ has shown them. So when you are gathered with another believer and you're, you're at Panera and you're like, oh, it's just the butternut autumn squash soup that we're doing. No, it's more than that. When somebody comes over to, to your house, a believer, and together there, there is joy and you're watching Elf, it's more than just that. You are actually worshiping the living God when believers show hospitality to one another. As you live your lives together, that is worship. So we see that devotion to the Word leads to devotion to the worship of God. It leads us to action. The church matured then and it matures now by being devoted to one another. That's why 44 and 45 here in our passage are so powerful. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what we see here is generosity that's compelled by the love of Christ. It's not coerced by the government. This is not a proof text for communism or socialism. This is not a situation where private property is getting redistributed towards because of someone else's standard. That's not what's happening here. This is Holy Spirit, Pentecost poured out. A people have been brought together. Love and generosity that's happening here. We see the standard of sharing is not arbitrary. It's in verse 45, for anyone who has need. But just because forced wealth redistribution is not in view, man, that doesn't excuse greediness. That is a sin. And being generous towards others as God has been generous with us is a way in which God makes us more like Jesus. Your generosity or lack thereof is a great indicator of your spiritual maturity. We are talking about how the church matures. This community it was defined by giving, not taking. It was defined by commitment, not convenience. We know that biblical community will cost you something. When the Lord adds you to the fellowship of believers, you'll not only be giving time and money to those in need, you'll be giving yourself to one another. But we know this, right? That true love is sacrificial. We're following our big brother Jesus here from Ephesians 5, 2, as we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the power for this. That's the hope. If you're feeling the weight of, I'm not hospitable, 
I, I sometimes don't even like people. Uh, I don't want to give myself to another. It's not worth the risk. I've been hurt before. I'm not telling somebody my sin. I'm not telling somebody how I'm weak. Here is the power. Christ gave himself up for you. Therefore, we can give ourselves to each other. What does this look like? It looks like resisting the tendency of searching endlessly for that perfect community tailored to your preferences, your tastes, your comfort. It looks like resisting being halfway in and halfway out because this community, it just it isn't quite what you're looking for. Giving yourself looks like actively sacrificing to help build a community that looks like the one described here. I was looking for my own community, a community that was suited to my needs. As I walked in the door, Heritage Baptist in Johnson City before I was a believer, I had three things in mind. I wanted people that looked like fun. I wanted people that wouldn't ask much of me and for sure wouldn't judge me when I cursed and threw golf clubs on the golf course. It's, it's embarrassing, but it's true. How much different is this in our passage the question is, are, are we willing to sacrifice to build a community devoted to the Word, to worship, to witness, and to one another? By the power given to you through the Spirit, what are you willing to give of yourself? This is so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural. Everything is telling you to be you, to do what's good for you, to seek out convenience. The most immoral thing anymore is to be made uncomfortable and offended. And here we see, no, we are to come together. We are to be together despite all of that. We're filled with the Spirit. He gives us the courage to know others and to be known. He gives us the power to sacrificially give and to humbly receive. He's the one who helps us tenaciously fight to want to be together. This is such a weird time. It's so weird. I'm tired of saying how weird it is. All right. <laughs> For such a season as this. All right. Done with that. Yeah. But, but right now, our devotion to one another is being tested. You see it. I see it. Our, our patience with each other our pursuit of one another is being tested by politics and, and culture and masks and viruses. So none of this is a surprise to our sovereign king. He's refining us right now. He's strengthening the church. So how are we doing? The question for us is this, do you long to be with fellow believers? Do you long to be with fellow believers? Or is there a growing comfort in participating on your own terms? Well, please know for those that, that are in high-risk categories, our hearts long to be with you. Some I haven't seen face-to-face -face since March. We're thankful that those in high-risk categories are, are staying safe, and we can't wait to see them when this is over. But consider what 
koinonia, consider our community. What is it grounded in? What's at stake? Our fellowship with each other is grounded in our fellowship with God. You see it on the screen. That's which we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship, brothers and sisters, it's nothing less than our participation together in and with the community of our triune God. The stronger our fellowship with God is, the stronger our fellowship with each other will be. See how it connects, devoted to the Word, devoted to worship, devoted to one another. The more we are convinced of the love Christ has for us, the more we want to be with and love one another. What unites us is nothing less the spirit of the living God, the blood of Jesus Christ, so we will not let a virus, a man, a demon, try to divide what Christ died to unite. So finally, what what grew the church then grows the church now. It's through our witness to others. People devoted to the word, to worship, to one another. They can't help but witness to people that they're around about God, about what he's done in Jesus. When you have personally experienced being pierced to the heart by the word, being crushed by the weight of your sin, and then the joy and the hope that comes when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive forgiveness of sins, when you receive a fellowship to be with, you can't help but want to tell others about it. You see this inward to outward overflow. In verses 46 and 47, they're they're glad, they're generous, they're praising God, they're having favor with all the people. They're, They're noticing that when the Christians here are acting in a way that they have been called to be, that people take notice. They have favor and goodwill with the people around them. The Lord adds to their number. It's the Lord who saves, and he uses us as a part of that plan. We get the privilege of being ambassadors for him. So the gospel must be shared using words. The word must be heard so that faith and repentance may come to another lost soul. That was the way then. That's the way now. It's our witness. It's it's not a set time on on Monday nights going door to door. If you do that, praise God, please keep doing that. Our witness is a way of life. It's a way you live your life. That's what we see in our passage. So three or four small groups ago, and thinking about one of, one of my best friends from Ruby's, he would show up with his green notebook full of questions about Jesus. Why the cross? Why not a spaceship? Why couldn't Jesus just come down? Why couldn't God have just saved everyone? I really like the spaceship question. <laughs> he had tons of questions. And what happens is this, this small group, they patiently answered him. They would pray over him. They would encourage him to pray for him. And he would tell you right now that the reason that he is a Christian, God saved him through community. He was called by the Holy Spirit through a fellowship of believers. We watched him come to faith, 
And then he watched me kind of cry in the communion plate and try to not get snot in it, definitely pre-COVID. But man, it was, it was the first time we're breaking bread together as believers. That was awesome. That was the way then. It's still the way now at work, at school, in your community. Oh, we, we can't help but witness. So do you live your life in such a way that you're actively looking? Are you actively looking to share the gospel. We would teach our, our servers at, at Ruby's to read the guest. So if somebody comes in with a, a t-shirt that has Star Wars on it, I'm good to go. I'm going to make a connection <laughs> with the guest. That's going to be easy peasy. In a similar way, we need to read the people that are around us in our lives, how, with what they're going through, what they're living for, where can we bring the gospel? I want to encourage you with this. It, one, the Lord acts, the Lord saves, so you go ahead and be yourself. You don't have to be me, you don't have to be Chris, you don't have to be Mark, you don't have to be Bob, be yourself. Go ahead and share in whatever awkward or eloquent way that you can, because you're resting in the Lord for results. And finally, I want you to think about what you're sharing. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are not inviting someone to a more successful way to live their lives. You're not inviting someone to how to be good and how to be moral. You're inviting someone to be the people of God. Why? We see the answer in 1 Peter 2. It's not to gather secretly in an upper room. But they were called then, and you are called now, out of darkness, into marvelous light, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. We cannot keep it to ourselves. So when you share the gospel, you are being Jesus' witness to the ends of the earth. You're inviting another person to be a partaker of the promise, to be forgiven of her sins, to be indwelt by the Spirit of God himself, they're getting to be a part of living stones that are being built into a temple of God. The Spirit dwells. You're inviting them to be adopted by the Father, to be in the very family of God. It's how the church was made then. It's how it matures now. You're inviting someone to come and worship, the one to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, help us. Help us see through your word and by your spirit how you called us to be. Spirit, help us as we see in the word what it is that we are to do. Jesus, thank you that what we will, will try to do by the Spirit imperfectly, you have done perfectly. You have done it correctly. You have done it for us. Your perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus. Thank you that we have that because of you. Father, I pray that you would, you would help us now to, to worship you and enjoy with gladness, generous hearts, that we get to praise you coming and going. Father, because you have brought us into your family.
We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.